I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that I've been wanting to preach through this prayer series for some time, and, uh, and finally God has allowed us to kind of get to this point, and uh, as I've realized as I began this process, I kind of thought I knew where I was going, and God continues to kind of show me where he wants this to go, and so I don't have an end goal in this. I don't have a, you know, most of the time when I start a series, I say, well, this is going to be four weeks, this is going to be five weeks, this may even be eight weeks. We've done eight-weekers before where they're kind of in that thought for a long time. If y'all remember going through Romans a couple of summers ago, we, we were in that for a good long time. Uh, and this one, I just, I'm just leaving real open-ended. And so I'm not really sure how this is going to wrap up, but it's not done today. I know that. And so uh, today we're going to kind of continue to look at this idea of, of prayer and what that means and how we, uh, how we pray. And what I really want to do is in my gut, I want to be able to get up here and preach John 14, 13, which just says, Jesus talking, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do, right? That's a, that's a sermon that preacher want to preach because it's, it's real. I mean, that just makes everybody feel real good and it kind of makes us all real warm and fuzzy. And it's just, I will do whatever you ask in my name. And, and, and that's why we pray. I, I don't know if you guys know that or not, but that's the reason why at the end of a prayer, we just kind of grew up saying that, but that's the reason why we say in Jesus name because of this one verse, because if you ask it in my name, I'll do it. And so whatever we pray, we say in Jesus name, do it right. And sometimes it's even like, Lord, Get this kid to shut up in Jesus' name, right? And we say those things and because we pray that he's going to do it, right? And so we, we want to pray what prayers like that. We want to preach sermons like that. But the reality is, be willing to bet that the majority of us in this room, if we were to ask you, maybe it's been a long time that you've heard from God. I would even be willing to bet the majority of us don't hear from God often. Yeah, maybe every once in a while, maybe like in, a, in an incredible moment in your life or, a, or maybe a real heavy moment of your life, you can kind of hear what God's wanting you to do or, or you feel the presence of God kind of pulling you one direction or the other. But in our everyday, I would even say every month or maybe even every year process of prayer, the majority of what we get is silence from God. We don't hear from Him Often, and that's what I want to do this morning is I want to communicate one simple thought to you, and that's the grace of silence. We talked about on Sunday night this past week, we talked about grace and, uh, and what that means and how Webster's defines grace as unmerited divine assistance. Okay, and so when Webster's gives a, it's a very logical definition of unmerited divine assistance. And we in church circles say that as uh, grace is not getting something that you do deserve and uh, getting something that you don't deserve, right? And so we kind of understand that. But when we think about the idea of silence from God equating grace, now it doesn't always seem to make sense. And so we're going to look at this from a couple of different perspectives this morning. We're going to look at two different scriptures and uh, passages of scripture, really three, but two different stories. Uh, and we're going to look at what it means, uh, grace, the, the grace of silence when it comes to relief and the grace of silence when it comes to Rescue. So if you've got your Bible, go to Acts chapter 16. This is the first story that we're going to look at. Uh, Acts 16 is the, kind of given a little bit of the, the, the story of what's going on with Paul. Uh, Paul and Silas at this point are uh, kind of making their rounds. They're, they're, they're going up to the northeast part of the Mediterranean Sea, which is the, the area of Galatia. Okay, So when you read through your scripture, you, know, you get to books like Corinth or Corinthians. That's the town of Corinth. Well, Galatia is not a town. It's a region. Okay, There's different cities in the in the in, kind of think of it as like a county okay there's different cities in that region uh, Iconium, uh, Lystra Derby, Antioch is up there and so it's all in the northeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea and then 
Uh, they pick up along the way in this, in this chapter, they pick up a young man by the name of Timothy, which obviously changes his life, and we have a lot of inf- interaction and a lot of information about Timothy. Uh, and then uh, Paul has what we call the Macedonian call. You may have heard that before in church circles. He has this vision of a man asking them to come to Macedonia. And the, the, big, the big part of that is, is that Macedonia is in Europe, okay? And so if you can think of the, I didn't put a map on the screen. If you think of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, and from, I'll do it from your perspective. The Mediterranean Sea is just kind of right here in the middle. Uh, Galatia is up here in the top right-hand corner. And then Greece sticks down into the Mediterranean Sea. The, the kind of, it's almost like a little peninsula. It's not as defined as what we know as if you keep, if this is the Mediterranean Sea and Greece is here, then over here is Italy, the big boot, you know that. But Greece kind of sticks down and there's a little part of, there's a part of the Mediterranean Sea. It's still, quote unquote, the Mediterranean. But it separates kind of this area that we would know as the, the rim of uh, Jerusalem and, and Israel and all that to Greece, and that's called the Aegean Sea, okay? And so the Aegean Sea, Paul has to cross, or really he just goes up through the continent. He doesn't cross the, through the water. He goes up through the continent over into what is now known as Europe. And the very first person that he encounters in Europe is a lady by the name of Lydia, and she's the first European convert. It's a pretty big deal. She was the first woman in the continent of Europe to, to receive Christ. And we know in scripture that she was a, she was a trader. She had uh, fine linens of purple. It's kind of neat because uh, that was a, a really hard thing to do back then. And so she uh, was a wealthy kind of a established businesswoman and Paul leads her to Christ and he's going over to Macedonia and trying to kind of find, figure out what's going on next. And then it says that after uh, this incident with Lydia, um, Paul and Silas come upon this slave girl that is, she's got like this, the Bible says the gift of fortune telling. Okay. And so what we associate that is, is that she probably had a demon that was saying things that only the demon would know. And so uh, her owners uh, were making money off her, that she was going around, quote unquote, telling fortunes. And, uh, and so they were kind of getting pretty rich off this little girl. And the Bible says that uh, she followed Paul and Silas around yelling, these men are from the most high God and they have come so that you will be saved. And, and like, she just keeps doing this over and over again. And the Bible says, after a couple of days, Paul was troubled by the little girl. And we're going to assume this was a holy, like, oh, I just feel so bad for her. I'm kind of thinking, I know Paul. And if you read the stories of Paul, he's probably pretty annoyed. There's a little girl following him around and yelling all the time. And so he turns around in Jesus name and rebukes the demon, tells her to get out. And, and, and obviously, the demon uh, leaves the girl, and the owners of the girl are not very happy about this because that's their source of income. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 16, verse 19. It says this, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded by the guard to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now listen, did you hear some of the verbiage in this? Dragged, attacked, stripped, beaten, flogged, thrown, 
and fastened into stocks. And I read that and I thought, where is God in all of this? And why is he remaining silent? When, when Paul and Silas are doing nothing wrong, they are doing absolutely what God has called them to do. Why, when they are being dragged, attacked, stripped, beaten, flogged, thrown, and fastened into stocks, why is God so silent? Now listen, this is a different, your, your version may say that they were beaten with rods, okay? This is a different type of flogging than what Jesus got. Jesus got a flogging that, that tore flesh, right? We all know that story from the Passion. But this is the kind of flogging that was with sticks. This, this flogging broke bones, okay? When they would hit you with these rods, these were, these were a good two-inch uh, stick that they were beating someone. They crack ribs. If you put your hand back to keep that, it would shatter your hand. It would break the, the bones in your arms. Uh, this, was, this was a severe beating, and so when the Bible says that the, that the jailer put them in, in stocks, they put their feet in stocks, this was not just confinement, but this was more punishment because there's no comfortable position after you've been beaten like that to have to lay or set in. This is, this is further punishment. And I read all this and I go, where is God? Why did God seem to be silent? Why did God not rescue Paul and Silas? Whenever I started this series, uh, at Sunday morning, we'd, I'd introduced the, the, the topic of it. And during the welcome time, Jerry West came up to me. He said, hey, man, if you ever want me to share my story, I'd be happy to do that. Because uh, it's all about prayer. And it's all about God hearing my prayer and hearing the prayers of other people. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Jerry to come up. And he's going to share his story. Uh, most of you are familiar with that. But uh, I, hear, I want you to be able to hear it from his perspective. So, Jerry, take it away, buddy. Yep, uh, I do have a testimony, and I, that's what I told Matt. He's been pre uh, preaching on prayer, so uh, uh, through life we go through a lot of journey, a lot of troubles, and and uh, things that we don't expect to go through. And uh, through this, what I realized uh, how important prayer was, and is, and uh, I pray. I. When somebody would ask me to pray for one before, I would pray a sentence prayer for you or not consistently. And now I open my days with prayer. And I, I pray for my whole family. I, I was lucky to be uh, married into a praying family, being Mr. O'Neill. Uh, and they instilled that in their daughters. And... Uh, um, so I do know how important prayer is, but through this accident that I went through, uh, and I'm going to explain a little bit of it to you, how, how it did happen, just so you'll know how serious it was and how awesome God is to uh, answer our prayers and, and uh, how when you can't pray for yourself, how we intercede for the other man. And that's what y'all did for me. Uh, Y'all prayed me through it, and he healed me. Uh, on December the uh, 12th, my birthday uh, of 2017, uh, I rodeo. I rode calves, and I compete. And I practiced with a guy from Monticello, and uh, we practiced pretty regular. And I'd been over there. I said, well, I'm going to go enjoy myself on my birthday. Never expect 
Never dream. You never do. We don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen, one second to the next, what we're going to have to go through in our lives. And, uh, but anyway, so I went over there, and I had an awesome practice. And I had one calf left, and they got my three buddies. I rode with Cody James, and he said, we got one more. He said, rope this one. He said, uh, so I did, and I went out. And I still see it in slow motion, had nightmares about it for a long time. I roped the calf, I pulled my slack, and you step off a horse going about 30 miles an hour, 20, 20 to 30 miles an hour, and you just run down in time, and the quickest time wins. Well, I pulled my slack to here, and I rolled it to the inside. Instead of throwing it out, it made a call. My foot and the saddle in the stirrup it went in it, and the calf is caught. He's the horse is trained to stop right when you do that, and the calf stops at the end of the rope. And so when he, did, when the calf hit the end of the rope, it jerks me down, and I'm hung. I'm tied to the saddle, so I'm swinging back to his rear end with uh, new shoes on his feet, <laughs> and he was kicking me constantly. I was a spook. This was every horse is different, just like people are different. They have different personalities, and this horse right here is one more of an athlete. If he was a man, Bo would want him on his football team because <laughs> he, he is stout and fast, and he is one of the best athletes. But mentally, he's a little spooky, <laughs> and I was a spook. I would swing. Every time he would kick me, I would swing away, and my head's, and he's smoking my head. He's kicking me, and I asked, and the cowboys, most of the time, us cowboys have a knife on them to cut the rope out to get you out. Well, I was three cowboys there, two from the college and Cody, and no one had a knife. And I didn't know that. When he was kicking me and I was swinging back, I started, I started hollering at them, cut the rope. Normally, you just cut the rope and it'll plop loose and you, you're done. Of course, I hadn't gone through that before, so, but that's what was spoke, would have happened. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, this went on, and every time he would swing me back, I'd holler, cut the rope. And finally, I realized it wasn't. I asked Cody how long this went on, and he said 20 minutes. And uh, he said they couldn't. He was dragging me around and kicking me for 20 minutes, and it, it broke my all, most of my ribs. It broke my nose, broke and broke this, or whatever you call that. I know I'm a doctor-in-law, but I don't know. <laughs> it broke that, and it broke. I had, I've got two plates in this. had surgery on. i got two plates in this. Should have had one right up here, and they couldn't. No, my, I'm pointing my eye. Jaw. Anyway, <laughs> shut up, Bo. Uh, anyway, I uh, didn't get, they couldn't put this plate in here. And uh, they were worried about they rushed me to the, to the Pine Bluff, and then they had to rush me on to Little Rock because they thought I was going to lose this eye. And then I had broke ribs. And this knee, from being hung up, I was swinging and twisting, and it tore everything up in it. So I had, had a bunch. But I'm just letting you know how bad it was. It was bad. And I, was a, I had concussion. I was messed up. Couldn't do nothing for me. God... Uh, through y'all's prayers, God took care of me in it. And uh, 
because I was a sick man. I couldn't, I laid on my back and I'd be depressed and uh, uh, I don't forgot whether I told y'all about some of the other stuff I prayed about. I finally started praying when he kicked me and knocked me back. Lord, not let him knock me out. I was wanting him to knock me out. And it, and it never happened. He never knocked me out. And then I would holler, Lord, let this be the last one. When he'd kick me and I'd go back to him, Lord, let this be the last one. But anyway, through it all, it wasn't on my timing. <laughs> uh, but uh, we did go through it and through y'all's prayers. I just want you to know when you tell somebody to pray, you're going to pray for them, pray for them. Uh, it's so important, not just if, if you tell them you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to pray for them or you are going to pray for them and then you don't. It's, it's, it's uh, just very important that we do. And, and y'all did for me. And I want to thank, I want to praise him for, for putting me back on a horse, putting me back where I can enjoy myself because uh, I shouldn't be even making a sentence. And a lot of y'all think I can't now anyway but, <laughs> or before. But uh, I give him the praise, and I thank you for your prayers. Thanks, John. Jerry told me, he said, uh, I was praying for the horse to knock me out. And God didn't answer that prayer, but he was answering other people's prayers for me. Um, I'll never forget that day. I was heading... Out, I think we were heading to celebrate your birthday. I think we were going somewhere, uh, and and I had a buddy from the church call me, and I, I just I, I can't imagine. Listen, in the middle of what needed to be a rescue, it felt like God was silent. Paul and Silas and Jerry, they all understood one incredible truth, and that is the truth that silence is an answer wrapped in grace. When, when they were experiencing everything, God has not forgotten about you. And sometimes we feel like because we're not hearing from God and because we have this silence from God that he's, he doesn't care and that he doesn't, he doesn't know what we're going through. And that can, be, that can be not any further from the truth. He's still answering your prayer. He's just answering it with silence. Now, why in the world would he do that, right? Why, why? That doesn't even make sense. I've got a quote on the screen from Oswald Chambers. I don't know if you uh, have read any of his stuff, but this is what he says. This is incredible. His silence is a sign that he's bringing you into a marvelous understanding of himself. You'll find that God has trusted you in the most intimate way possible with an absolute silence. Not of despair, but of pleasure because he saw that you could stand a bigger Revelation. Isn't that wonderful? What if, what if we began to see God's silence not as a punishment, but as a precursor to Him doing something bigger or trying to reveal Himself to us in a deeper and more intimate way? This changes our perspective from punishment to anticipation. When, when there's silence, essentially, that now we are anticipating something even better. 
that we're anticipating an answer that's even deeper than what we're asking for him to do that changes our conversation from, I've been praying about this forever, and I guess God's just not going to do anything about it. Number one, I, I, that translates into us that God just doesn't hear me or he doesn't care about me or he doesn't care about what's going on in our life. It changes it from frustration into a prayer of, okay, God, I've been praying about this for forever and you're not answering it. That means you're going to answer something else. And you've got something bigger and something deeper and something more incredible than I can even pray for in this moment. And so I will wait with anticipation to see what you're going to do next. There's a difference between those prayers the grace of silence. Let's look at another story. Flipping your Bible over to John chapter 11. This is a story that you're familiar with. It's, on, it's the one that has the passage of Scripture on the front of your bulletin. John chapter 11 tells the story of Lazarus. And you guys know the story of Lazarus, right? We're, we're all kind of familiar with that. Uh, Jesus is at full on in, in his ministry. He's healing people. He's doing incredible things. Uh, he's, he's teaching and he's teaching his disciples in an even more uh, deeper and intimate way. And then news hits in the middle of chapter uh, 11 that, uh, that Lazarus is sick. Somebody comes and says, listen, your friend Lazarus is sick. And in verse 4 of chapter 11, it says this. When he heard this, it's Jesus Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard, listen, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why two more days? I was praying through this, and I was going, God, why, why would you hear somebody was sick and then not do something immediately? Because if you read back, if you, if you know this story, maybe you can flip back in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is the story of the, the official who comes to Jesus, and, and he's in Capernaum, and, and his son is sick. And he says, listen, will you come? My son is dying. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And Jesus doesn't even go to that guy's house. He doesn't do anything like physically, quote unquote, to the boy to heal him. He just speaks healing and the, boy, the man goes home and his son is alive. And so why in this moment when Jesus' friend, someone who, who we would say would deserve Jesus to move on his behalf, why does he stay where he is two more days? Can you imagine the silence when all they're, all they're asking for is relief? For Lazarus, can you imagine the silence in that house, in Mary and Martha's house, that feeling of almost abandonment because Jesus didn't drop everything and come? There's a lot of emotions that come with that, right? There's doubt and there's worry and there's fear. But what if we could learn to replace those emotions in the silence with faith and contentment, and anticipation, and assurance. Anticipation of something else, something deeper, something bigger, something world-changing is about to happen because, because God's not answering this prayer. He's got something else up his sleeve. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of go back to that Acts first. This is not on the screen because I want you to see the resolution of these two stories, and then we're going to kind of wrap this up. I didn't put them on the screen because I want you to see it in your own Bible. Acts chapter 16 this is back with Paul and Silas. Uh, they're in jail. They've been beaten. They feel abandoned. They feel, uh, they feel like God has really just kind of left them there. If we were them, real talk, we'd be a little bitter, bitter. We'd be a little frustrated. We'd be a little angry that God's not answering our prayer. And in verse 25 of, of Acts 16, look what it says. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. So if God doesn't answer our prayer from this model, we just keep praying. That's a whole other sermon. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. You guys know this story, right? Paul and Silas are singing after being literally almost beaten to death, are praying and singing, and God sends an earthquake and all the bars come off and the chains come loose, and everybody kind of just kind of, they just don't know what to do. And all the prisoners get up and go, and you guys know that the jailer who was commissioned to guard them, remember he put them in the inner cell, uh, he almost kills himself because he would have been ultimately responsible for the escaped prisoners. And, and Paul and Silas come to him and says, no, 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 don't do that. And he, and he asks them this crazy question. And he says in verse 30, he says, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be That's not the question he should have asked. The question he should have asked is, why are you guys still here? Why didn't you run off? Why is this happening to me? But instead, the first words of the jailer's mouth is, sir, what, what do I have to do to be saved? See, that's a bigger revelation than the rescue that Paul and Silas would have been praying for. This was something that God was pushing this man to the whole time. And Paul and Silas had no idea it was what it was coming to. They didn't know the point of the story was unfolding to this man asking a bigger and deeper and harder question for him to realize than just help me. What do I do to be saved? God was silent at first. He didn't seem to send rescue at first. But there was a bigger picture unfolding. There was something that Paul and Silas had no clue that was going to have happen. And God was showing up and doing something literally earth-shaking in this man's life. And honestly, if, if we were Paul and Silas, it would not have made sense to answer it like this. But there was grace in the silence. Go back to John chapter 11. John 11, Lazarus is dead. Jesus finally comes to meet uh, Martha and Mary and says that Martha runs out to meet Jesus in verse 21 and verse 11. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother would have not died. And catch this. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And is there fear in that statement? Is there... Is there a doubt in that statement or, or a lack of faith in that statement? Absolutely not. If you'd have been here, I know he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask, God's going to give you this. She was expecting Jesus to do something. She just didn't know what he was going to do. She was expecting that God could still move in her life and in the life of her brother. She, just, she didn't expect what was about to happen next, right? Keep reading. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha says, but Lord, by now there's probably a bad odor. He's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and prayed and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he said this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hand and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and cloth that was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now listen, follow me. Maybe, maybe you've been battling something. Maybe you've been praying something over and over and over. And you believe that God will answer you. And you're praying for relief, and you're praying for healing, you're praying for your children, you're praying for your finances, you're praying for your marriage, you're praying for your job, you're praying for your spouse, you're praying for somebody that you know, and you're just, you're over and over and over again. But maybe, just maybe, maybe God's trying to let something in you die first. Maybe He's trying to. To kill something in you before he answers your prayer. Lazarus was dead. And he was raised to life. Now there's a big, don't, don't misunderstand this. You've got to understand that he was not resurrected. Okay, There was only one person who's been resurrected and that's Jesus. Jesus was resurrected into a glorified body never to die again. Lazarus was raised back to life, and he eventually did die again. Uh, and then whenever the resurrection happens for all the rest of us, he'll be part of that as well. And so Lazarus was raised back to life, but he had to die before he could be raised. And I think that there's some parts of us that maybe it's an attitude or behavior or, or something in us sometimes God wants to eliminate before he, before he breathes life into the prayer that you're praying. Listen, real talk, many of us pray prayers that in our gut, if we're honest, we would think God's not going to answer this. There's no way he's even going to hear this, much less try to even answer us. Others in this room pray prayers and we believe and we claim and we stand on the foundation that God is going to answer our prayers and we believe that he would because the Bible says that he will answer our prayers and we, we come into this and we're, we're claiming and we're believing and we're assured and we're all this kind of stuff and still there's no answer, no response, no nothing from God. And I believe that he's answers in silence for two reasons. And they're both rooted in a verse that has nothing to do with prayer. So let's flip over. This is my last verse, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And if you know your scripture, you know this is part of the Beatitudes. This is Jesus speaking his Sermon on the Mount. This is the very first thing he says. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And you're going, what in the world does the Beatitude have to do with answered or unanswered prayer? What does the Beatitude have to do with God answering in silence? And I believe this wraps it up for us. Listen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Listen, Jesus and God... Answers in silence for one of two reasons. Number one, because your prayer is shallow. Real talk, your life is not rooted in faith. You, you play at church and you play at God and you're hungering and thirsting uh, for things but not righteousness, right? You're doing all that you want to do. You claim to know him and you claim right relationship with him. But in all reality, your prayers are most often offered in desperation and not in 
a relationship. Does that you understand that? You, you live your life and you do whatever you want to do, and then you claim God only when you need something from Him. The way you live your life and your life is so very far from God that silence is the only thing that you can hear because you're not close to God and you're running away from God. All you can hear is silence. You can't fake intimacy. You can't fake this relationship. You can't manufacture this. You can't expect to hear God because you're far from where you're supposed to be. Listen, you can't flirt with a coworker. You can't drink with your buddies. You can't live like you're in high school. You can't cheat in your business. You can't smudge on your finances. You can't, you can't cut corners. You can't cheat on your spouse. You can't be ruled by addiction. You can't spread vicious rumors and expect to hear from God. That doesn't happen because our prayers are shallow because our faith is shallow. And we're not living what God's Word says to live. And so we're just praying these things and we're going, well, he's not answering us. No kidding. Because your life doesn't reflect what he wants. You're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He's not going to answer that. Now, don't get me wrong. He hears our prayers of repentance. And he hears us cry out for help. But you're asking for things. You're, you're asking for relationship that's not there. I wrote down in my notes. But if you're playing at relationship and demanding intimacy, you're never going to be satisfied. Never. Number two reason why I think sometimes we get silence is because God's answering with silence because he's developing something deeper. He's going to develop something deeper. I wish I could say that it was this earthquake of an answer, right? I wish I could say that this was this new life kind of answer. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God's developing in you, but I know this. I know that when we are truly desiring what he wants, his righteousness, when we're hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, we will be filled. Whether it's in answer or it's in silence, it's all going to be filled with grace. Here's my last thought, and I'm done. Hunger and thirst, silence and answer, all this stuff is wrapped up in this one thought. Sometimes God allows silence so that when he does speak, we hang on every word. Think of it like this. When you're hungry, but you're, you're really not that hungry, you're just kind of in the munchies, you will not eat something in the hopes that something else better will come along, right? Y'all, we've all done this, right? I don't want anything that's in our house. We've got food in our house, but we don't want to eat the food that's in our house. We want something different because we're not really that hungry. But if you've really hungered and thirsted, if you've really starved before, then you'll eat whatever's offered. And when we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, then whatever God says to us, we are satisfied with. Even if it's something hard, even if it's something outside of our box, even if it's something that we don't necessarily want, his answer is satisfying because we're starving for it. So this morning, here's what I want us to do. It's very, very simple. Because we can all identify with it. 
when we have been praying prayers. Some of you have gotten a journal like I've asked you to. Some of you have begun writing out some prayers like I've asked you to over the last couple of weeks. I want you to keep doing that. But some of you, if you're honest, you're saying, Matt, I've been praying about this for the last two weeks and I've got not an answer. God's being silent. That's your answer. Continue to pray. Continue to pray with expectation that God's going to do something even bigger than what you're praying. God, I believe that you're not answering me this for a reason. And so I'm going to take your silence as an answer and I'm going to continue to pray. But God, I'm going to expect even something deeper. I don't know what it's going to be, Father. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I'm going to trust that your silence is an answer that's wrapped in grace. Listen, Jerry had grace wrapped around him. You know what that feels like? Maybe you've never been kicked by a horse. Do you know what it feels like to have a prayer that you're praying It just seems like you're just praying it over and over and over and over and over again, and there's still no answer. That is your answer. See that as grace. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. TJ's going to come. And here's, I've got one question, and I'm going to let you have your invitation. I'm going to allow God to work in your heart. I'm going to allow him to speak directly to you or speak in silence. And the question is this, what have you been praying? What have you been praying for God to do or God to move or God to intervene? And he has been silent. Whatever that is, accept the grace of the silence and ask God for a deeper revelation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for hearing our prayer and God for many of us in this room maybe we are far from you and maybe our lives are far from you and maybe our hearts have been so shallow and our prayers are so shallow and you're not hearing them because God we're honestly doing life how we want to and we don't even care what you have to say about it God for those break us God for those bring us back God, for those kill what is inside of us, allow it to die so that we can hear your voice. Father, for those of us who are here who have been praying and praying and praying and praying and pleading and begging for you to do something, and God, it just feels like you're not answering. God, let us accept the answer of silence. And Father, let us look with anticipation of how you're going to answer something. Because when you answer, Father, we are going to be satisfied. Father, this is your time. Someone needs to come this morning and they need to talk to me or pray at the altar. God, this is open. This is our invitation. God, you move. God, break our hearts this morning. Fill us. It's in your son's name we pray. I'm going to ask you to just keep your head down. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. 
Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.